The Lord, we do stand here with our hearts surrendered to you and our spirit listening for you. You are the mighty God, but sometimes we can be so obstinate, so hard-hearted, it's hard to hear your voice. But Lord, we want to be receptive this morning and to be obedient once we do hear. Open your word to us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. In chapters 3 and 4 of Amos this morning, finding purpose in our problems. First section, the trouble with troubles. In case you hadn't noticed, life has its troubles. Some troubles are of our own making, some are not. How can we make sense of our troubles? Is there a purpose in our problems? In the book of Amos, we find that the nation of Israel was about to bring a lot of trouble on itself, and God was trying repeatedly to get their attention so they would be spared that pain. Speaking of troubles, Tommy Lasorda, former coach of the Los Angeles Dodgers, once said, I found that it's not good to talk about my troubles. 80% of the people who hear them don't care, and the other 20% are glad you're having trouble. Maybe that's... Part of the problem with troubles, people are either indifferent or secretly take delight that you're in difficulty. Well, we'll see the hardness of the human heart had a part in the troubles into which the Israelites were headed. Section, why the lion is roaring. You may recall that last Sunday we introduced the prophet Amos, who was not a prophet by way of career. He'd been a shepherd in the southern kingdom of Judah who also tended sycamore fig trees. You're down-to-earth kind of guy. Well, at least when he's not up in the tree, I guess. Judah and Israel were enjoying times of relative prosperity and expansion during the long reigns of their kings, Uzziah and Jeroboam II, respectively. Amos responded to God's call to go prophesy at the political center of the northern kingdom, about 30 years before the Assyrians would invade and destroy it in 722 BC. So the clock is ticking. Amos's prophecies are blunt and vivid, but will the flourishing northerners pay any attention before it's too late? As a shepherd, Amos had likely had to fend off wild predators from the flock he tended. So it's not surprising to hear him use the analogy of a lion roaring. By the way, let me tell you my coyote story sometime, but that's a separate topic. Three, verse four, does a lion roar in the thicket when he has no prey? Does he growl in his den when he has caught nothing? It would have been a sound that made the hair stand up on the back of your neck if you were tending sheep and you heard a lion roar and all you had was a stick or a club. But in this case, the lion that's roaring is much more powerful than any earthly creature. 1 verse 2, the Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. 3 verse 8, the lion has roared. Who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? It's God himself who is roaring and threatening destruction, so Amos's hearers had better pay attention. Why is the lion roaring? Because God cares about his people and wants to warn them to change their ways and be spared disaster. 
God is not like those 80% the Los Angeles Dodgers coach was talking about who don't care about your troubles. God does care. The Lord has an investment in your past and your future. Amos 3.2 gives a clue why God even bothered to send Amos miles and miles from the southern kingdom of Judah up to the north to Israel. Amos 3.2, you only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your sins. See the investment, the ownership, the taking responsibility there? You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. God explained through Moses back before they even received the law at Sinai that they were to play a particular role among the other nations. Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Whoops. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a, a holy nation. Holy, a kingdom of priests, not existing for themselves, but to be mediators, priests for other nations, interceding and ministering as liaisons to the divine. They were a chosen people, which was a high privilege, but that also entailed a responsibility. Their family alone had God chosen of all the families of the earth, so he was paying close attention to their conduct. And it seemed lately Israel had forgotten their special role, forgotten God's laws, and were living only to please themselves. Though verse 2, God says, Therefore I will punish you for all your sins. But not just for the sake of punishment. God had a purpose in roaring. He wanted them to return to him. Five times in 4, 6 to 11, God identifies disciplinary actions he has taken. Empty stomachs, lack of bread, withholding rain, striking the gardens with blight and mildew and locusts, sent plagues, killing their young men in conflict, overthrowing them. But what's the constant refrain each time? Yet you have not returned to me. The purpose of the prophesying and punishments is to draw the people back to himself, to win their hearts back into relationship with the God who initially delivered them out of slavery in Egypt. Next section, even pagans are shocked. Behavior, who we are on the outside, how we act, has a lot to do with who we are on the inside, our inner being. The Israelites were behaving so badly at this point in their history that even surrounding pagan nations would be amazed at how low they had sunk. During Laura Schlesinger's syndicated call-in show, some 50,000 people attempted to consult her on the air while an additional 17 million tuned in to listen. Her poke-at-the-conscience style was part of a revival of the notion that how you behave says something about who you are. Dr. Laura exhorted her followers to abandon self-indulgence. You don't lower the bar because you're human, she says. You rise to the occasion. That's what elevates you to full humanity. However, the Israelites lowered the bar and caved into self-indulgence at the expense of others. The Lord beckons other nations to come watch his indictment of his people. 
these other pagan nations didn't have the advantage of God's revealed law given at Mount Sinai. You might recall from last week how in chapter 1, Amos pronounced God's judgment on the surrounding nations. They only had the natural law of conscience in contrast to Judah and Israel, which also had the law of Moses. Yet God held them to account on the basis of their conscience. Note verses 9 and 10 in Amos 3. Proclaim to the fortresses of Ashdod and to the fortresses of Egypt, Assemble yourselves in the mountains of Samaria. See the great unrest within her and the oppression among her people. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord, who hoard plunder and loot in their fortresses. Here, Ashdod is one of the chief cities of the Philistines. Egypt is invited to watch as well. These old enemies of the Israelites, even though they were pagan, were shocked at some of the behavior of the Israelites. Verse 9 mentions unrest. The word can also be translated tumult, confusion, disturbance. As time progressed, kings were assassinated and coups became commonplace in the northern kingdom. There was not respect for authority. Our society today risks becoming more fractured and polarized due to disagreement about news sources. What's your preferred social media echo chamber? whether we can trust the government. Do institutions really have our best interests at heart? Younger generations may be more suspicious of organizational authority than previous ones. There are protests, rallies, division, unrest. I was glad uh, Krista mentioned in her prayer about praying for those in authority. We need to be praying for prime minister or premier, medical officers of health. These are our hard calls they're making How would you like to be making a decision that probably half the people are going to be upset with you, whatever decision you take? So it doesn't mean that all their decisions are right, uh, but pray for God to lead them and be praying for those in authority. Verse 9, see the great unrest within her and the oppression among her people. And 4.1 talks about those who oppress the poor and crush the needy. Oppression happens when might makes right. When the economic heavyweights are free to throw their weight around, squeeze out the little guy. Canada is currently experiencing high inflation rates that can make it hard for lower income earners to afford groceries or necessities. A connection center for the homeless is being looked into as a possibility for Wingham because homelessness is becoming more apparent even in our rural area during a pandemic People are more hesitant to let others couch surf. Big business does not always look out for the interests of its workers. An article about legal challenges arising over vaccine mandates noted cases are more likely to be looked on favorably by the court in the particular instance where workers had lost their job because they chose not to be vaccinated, but they were denied severance. Oppression tries to take advantage, not give someone their due. Amos 3.10. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord, who hoard plunder and loot in their fortresses. These people were well enough off to be able to afford fortresses, yet apparently they cheated and stole from others in order to acquire such wealth. And perhaps those who tend to laziness and love of being at ease are referred to in 3.12. 
those who sit in Samaria on the edge of their beds and in Damascus on their couches. Ethics questions were raised this past week about one federal leader who accepted the gift of a rocking chair worth a couple of thousand dollars, then posted to social media a photo of their family sitting in it and tagged the donor company. A rocking chair become quite a bit of a hot seat. Generally, parliamentarians are advised not to accept gifts. Sigh. We do love our lazy boys. Hand me the remote and the bowl of chips, please. In chapter 4, the shepherd prophet denounces some of the wives of the rich. These women are compared in a most uncomplimentary fashion to livestock that grazed in the lush pasture lands of northern Transjordan. Amos 4.1, and this is an actual picture from the Golan Heights, which is where Bashan was that he's talking about. So ladies, how'd you like to be compared to these fine bovines? Uh, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria. You women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. Their priorities were living a consumer lifestyle, not caring about the rights of the have-nots. Bring me another beer from the fridge, Freddy. But is that not the general direction of an affluent society? After a certain point, you you got your winter house and your summer house checked off. You, You start to live for the pleasures you consume day to day. The alcohol and drugs take the edge off the ennui. Scripture holds a mirror up to that emptiness, that vacuity. Our souls were designed for more than that. Jesus calls us to discipleship, not dissipation. Their sin extended to the realm of worship, which had become insincere, more of a formality for show. Uh, for, For go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years. Burn leavened bread as a thank offering and brag about your free will offerings. Boast about them, you Israelites. For this is what you love to do, declares the Sovereign Lord. Bring, burn, brag, boast. These are said as commands, but in an ironic way. The worshippers were performing the rituals in order to show off, to, to look good in front of others, to be able to boast, look at me. Even though the bread was actually supposed to be unleavened. They were not trying to ascribe worth or value to the Lord. They wanted to look worthy themselves, big shots. The Lord wasn't fooled. He could see the real motives of their hearts. Next section, on what terms would we meet God? How can we find purpose in our problems? Sometimes, as in the case of the book of Job, God has his own inscrutable reasons which we can't see at the moment. Sometimes our problems are the result of sin, whether our own or others, even stemming back to Adam and Eve and eating the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. When we yield to temptation, we may end up reaping what we sow. Part of the perverseness of sin is that temptation never delivers what it seems to promise. Sometimes problems are God's way of growing us, helping us mature in our character. James 1.12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. 
Here in Amos, though, the Israelites have been encountering a whole host of problems with the purpose of being drawn to return to God. Five times in 4, 6 to 11, God has identified as sending significant problems that should have caught their attention. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. What's your attitude when problems arise? Do you allow them to become a wedge which would intrude between you and the Lord, creating distance, widening the gap? Or do you position yourself so that the problem forces you closer to the Lord, causing you to rely on him even more? Chapter 4 ends on kind of an ominous note. The people of Israel have ignored the famine, the drought, the blight, the mildew, the locusts, the plagues, the military defeats. Nothing has worked to induce them to call out to God. Their options have been exhausted. All that's left now for them is the option of obliteration. Sidebar, never waste a good plague. What has the pandemic been teaching you? Has it caused you to lean into God more? More instead made you bitter, resentful, impatient, questioning whether God really knows what he's doing? Get the COVID grumps. Problems can precipitate repentance. Jesus takes on our pain. In healing the leper, he becomes the outcast. Amos' words are both vague and ominous. 4.12 Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel, and because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Oh, what could that mean? They would find out soon enough when the Assyrians led them out as captives by ropes tied to hooks through their lips and noses. Yikes. 4.13 reminds Amos hearers, this is not some trivial deity they're dealing with, like one of the local Baal fertility gods. Throughout today's passage, the prophet has referred to God as the Sovereign Lord, or the Lord Adonai, the Lord Yahweh, God Almighty. Both titles which emphasize God's supreme power and control and accountability. But 413 is epic in describing God's power and depth and intelligence and majesty in just a few simple phrases. Here it is. He who forms the mountains, creates the wind, and reveals his thoughts to man. He who turns dawn to darkness and treads the high places of the earth. The Lord God Almighty is his name. Forms the mountains. Did you see some of the photos of the volcanic explosion in Tonga this past week? Before the explosion, there was this huge crater up above sea level, which then sank underneath the ocean surface before exploding in a huge thermochemical reaction, leaving just the highest parts of the landmass remaining outwards out at the two extreme ends. God creates the wind. Sovereign over invisible forces as well as the ones we see. God turns dawn to darkness. He is in charge of solar and universal and cosmic powers. Gravity and Kepler's laws that govern the heavenly bodies are God's idea. God treads the high places of the earth, far greater and more immense than our mere limited mortal human frame, like some giant wearing seven-league boots. Yet also God 
reveals his thoughts to man. This one stands out in contrast to the other descriptors. God is relational, communicating, talking to us, making it possible for us to even understand and contemplate him. In Jesus, God has come among us in human form, a person like us, someone we can relate to, not just some impersonal cosmic force. He loves us and invites us to repent, to receive him, to have fellowship with him. Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him. and He with me. The eating with is an Eastern expression of fellowship and companionship. John 14.23, Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he'll obey my teaching. My Father will love him and we'll come to him and make our home with him. How much more intimate can you get than somebody making their home with you? Can an almighty God who rules the cosmos and treads earth's high places also make his home with us? Absolutely. The Lord Jesus calls you to believe, repent, and obey. He will prove his promises to you. I was asking Kathy what they're teach- she was teaching in Sunday school downstairs, and she said uh, about uh, the birth of Isaac, how God is faithful to his promises. Abraham did have to wait, but yes, God was faithful. Even though Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90, they had a, a son. Uh, section one for the road. Unfortunately, the women of Samaria, the so-called cows of Bashan, did not give up on oppressing the poor and calling their husbands to bring them another drink. Before many decades passed, they were being cast out through breaks in the wall they had trusted in for security. When you hear God calling, warning you to repent and receive him, don't delay. In George Whitfield's journal, he records that during his first voyage to Georgia, the ship's cook had a bad drinking problem. When the cook was reproved for it and other sins, he boasted that He would be wicked until the last two years of his life, and then he would reform. Whitfield adds that within six hours of the time the cook made his boastful statement, he died of an illness related to his drinking. He had left reform too late. Let's pray. Lord, we don't want our worship here today to be fake, bringing offerings so we can brag and boast and congratulate ourselves on being religious. We need you to poke a hole in our self-righteousness as Amos rebuked the people of Israel, calling them out on their oppression, their uncaring, their idolatry, their empty lifestyles. Let's not go home today without inviting you to make your home within us, loving you who has spelled out your commitment to us at the cross of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.